Top of the morning, sir, and welcome to the Waterstone Media Podcast. How are you doing today? I am wonderful, thank you. Uh, for those who are not aware of all the latest and greatest news, why don't you introduce yourself and talk about the fantastic reason that you're here today? I shall. Uh, so my name is Taylor Crook. Uh, I am here because I published my first book yesterday with uh, with the help of uh, Mr. Ryan Kirk here. And uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, we are here for a little bit of a launch party for uh, Path of the Eternal Shadow, co-written by myself. Nope. <laughs> oh, no! It would be Path of the Eternal Sun. <laughs> Path of the Eternal Sun. Off to a really bad start already. <laughs> and yet a perfect start. <laughs> <laughs> we wrote a book together. I do like that you were plugging Infernal Shadow, which is my solo book, which we'll hopefully be releasing this summer. So thank you for giving me that segue right off the top. What are we not even two minutes in? We should not have been talking. We should not have been talking about that immediately before starting a recording because it clearly messed me up. Path of the Eternal Sun. Thank you. There we go. Co-written by Taylor Crook and myself, uh, and we're here today celebrating the launch and uh, just to have a good time. Um, Taylor, why don't you start off? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you, uh, how this story came about. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm sort of an, I was an aspiring author up until sort of very recently when I decided to just kind of dig in and, uh, and, you know, do my own thing. And we, you know, you and I sort of eventually crossed paths. And once we started to, to collaborate, uh, this was kind of a, it was something that I had in my story garden, um, was like, uh, I, I wanted like sort of a really Japanese inspired kind of high fantasy thing going on. And then you and I, you know, we pared it down together, uh, as is the nature of a collaboration, I guess. And, uh, we really lost the high fantasy and it became, you know, it's really, it's, it's, it's its own thing. There's, you know, there's, there's hints of that sort of, um, you know, East Asian culture in there, but it's, it really became its own world. Um, which I think is, you know was one of my favorite parts of the collaboration was just like, it, it was this idea. And then suddenly there's like this, this world where all these characters are living and they have lived and, and yeah, it was, it was a neat process for sure. Uh, for those who are interested in a little bit of what you're talking about, uh, how would you describe the book to a potential reader? Um, so I'd say uh, you've got a uh, sort of a, a soldier, that is devoted to his duty. You've got this peerless warrior that is on the precipice of manifesting this dream that he, that he has. And then you've got this the humble peasant that all she wants to do is keep living the peaceful life that she's always had. And, uh, and they all get thrown onto this path that they never really would have expected. Um, just due to uh, like a confluence of events that start to threaten like the land that they live in and they just get kind of tossed into it. Yeah. I think that one of the pieces of this story that I really enjoyed and something that really appealed to me was starting with three characters who came from just tremendously different backgrounds and get thrown into this world of chaos and conflict and change and how their stories intertwine. And once they finally do come together near the end of the story, I think those are some of my favorite chapters to write. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think the interplay between the three of them is really interesting. It's it's really interesting without giving too much away. You know, there's a, there's tension between a couple of the characters just based on their their status, um, and then there's you know tension based on a, like a burning hatred of a of a system. Like it's it's it does end up, but then all, they all all of their sort of uh, goals end up kind of aligning, right? So it's it becomes a very interesting you know interplay between the three of them. I don't think I have ever laughed as much during the drafting of a book as I have during this one. It like, had me, it me, had me laughing the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Both. Yeah, definitely Both. a good time. Um, yeah, I agree. So, so as we've talked about, we have three main characters, three POV characters in this book. Which one of them was your favorite to write? I'm pretty sure that I know the answer. Um, but which one was your favorite to write and why? Yeah, you definitely know the answer. Uh, yeah, Beast. Beast was our favorite character there. He, uh, or my favorite character. Um, I, for whatever reason, I really enjoy the, um, I really enjoy a character that is, you know, big and powerful, but has more depth to him than just being kind of a bruiser. Uh, and I think Beast provided a lot of that. Beast also, um, provides a lot of the, sort of the humor in the book and, and the levity and, and I'm all about writing the dark parts, but the levity is what sort of, you know, really tickles me when, when I'm <laughs> a little on the nose there, but you know, when, when I'm writing, I like, I like an opportunity to have some jokes and things like that. So, and, and he, he, he really provided that he also, um, his, the way he changed from conception to where he is on the page, I think was a really fun process for me too. Cause he, he grew a lot as a, as a character, not just like his own actual, like literary character arc, but in development in my brain, he, he changed a lot throughout. What would you say was one of the biggest differences between how you originally envisioned him and how he ended up in the final draft? Um, I think he, when I originally um, sort of conceptualized him. He was a man of singular purpose and he still is to a certain extent, but that purpose was always his ascension and, and sort of grabbing power for himself and the best change and not only the biggest, but the, the most important change was when he instead right from the start was in actual fact, a man of the people. And he was, mm. it, he was trying to provide a better life within this system that that really didn't serve everybody equally. And I think that made him way more compelling, way more compelling. He is one of the more entertaining characters that I've ever written. But one of the things that I noticed while writing him is because he was so oversized, both literally and mm -hmm. just in terms of his personality, that when some of those character moments hit, I feel like they hit a lot harder yeah. uh, simply because he is so big. He is so oversized. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, I, it's like if you ever, if you were a kid, you have, if you ever saw your dad cry, it was mm -hmm. like, it was such an impact because in your mind, your dad's this like invincible force. <laughs> and you know, if you, when you see that emotion come there, you're like, Oh shit, like this is serious. <laughs> I feel like it's that kind of a same, that same feeling. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed writing Sato as you know. Um, I, I do know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, for those, uh, new readers who are here, Sato is a character who starts out as a very high ranking general 
in this nation's army and very devoted to honor and duty. And if you ask him what I think makes him a very interesting foil to Beast, who is Taylor's favorite character, is that where Beast is perhaps actually a man of the people, Sato probably believes that he is too. Yeah. That he thinks that he's doing the work that is necessary for this nation to survive and to thrive. Mm-hmm. And his journey throughout the course of the book is peeling away the layers of his belief. And I've never written a character like that before. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, you, you know that at times I struggled a little bit with, uh, with writing those Sato chapters, but I think, uh, that was, that that ended up being a good exercise for me as a writer, uh, to, to get myself into a position where I could write him a little more confidently. Um, and I think by the end of this first book, I really, I, I was comfortable, but, but a lot of that was what, when you took the character and added your flair to him, that was a blueprint that I could follow. So that, Mm -hmm. that helped me a lot too. But yeah, you're right. He, um, you, if you asked him, he'd say, yeah, yeah, of course I'm a man of the people, (laughs) but it, it would be, you know, I'm a man of the people because I follow the path, which is in, in our world, which is their, like, you know, their code of honor. So because I follow de facto, because I follow the path, I am a man of the people. And it's mm-hmm. that mindset change that, that is interesting to watch in him for sure. Absolutely. Um, this kind of gets into a little bit of the process that we've been talking about. This is a co-written book, uh, something that we were both involved in from its very inception to the final period in the final sentence. Uh, what was the favorite part of the process for you? Um, <laughs> it's going to sound like I'm blowing smoke, um, but <laughs> blow, I mean, blow away. <laughs> legitimately, uh, you're an author that I've been reading for a long time. Uh, so to, you know, to be on my path as an author myself, and then I get to turn around and work with you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, that's such a great, pro- like, think about an author that you read when you were coming up, you know, if you had been given the opportunity to write with that person, you know, it's, it's amazing. And, and the amount that I, that I learned and grew, you know, um, I wrote that short story, uh, for those that want to check it out, taylorcrook.ca short story. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and you, you know, one of the things you said to me, you prefaced it by saying, don't take this the wrong way, but, uh, you know, I don't think you could have written that story a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was just, to me, that was like such a great compliment that, you know, I had sort of grown and uh, I, you know, it's getting to work hand in hand with you. I owe a lot of that growth to you. So uh, I know it's kind of a broad statement, but that was definitely the most fun. Um, a little more specifically when we were doing our first edit run, uh, was it during the first edit run? Anyway, at any point we, we had a, for a little while we were doing a nine o'clock meeting where we would get on zoom, go into a shared document and just essentially write together. And I, I remember one day specifically, like, you're like, hey, we need to fix up this paragraph and add this. And he said, so you said, so you add this and I'm going to go here and check. And so mm. we were in tandem writing this chapter. And I, that was pretty cool. I don't know. I don't know if that's something that would work, you know, start to finish on a book. But certainly in places, I think it was a really effective way to, to, to collaborate. Yeah, the joint writing sprints. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Right. I, I think the other thing I've noticed is you describe yourself as a serial dabbler and, uh, and dabble we did. We, mm-hmm. we tried, we tried a bunch of different stuff. So we sure did. 
I think for me, one of the pieces that really uh, continued to impress me was whenever we came across a problem or maybe we had an idea, we could run it next to the other person. And I feel like every single time we did that, the story just became that much richer as a result. For sure. It, it seems silly to say kind of cliche, but like the one plus one equaled more than two. hundred percent. Absolutely. I, I distinctly remember calling you up and saying, I'm really stuck on this issue, whatever it is. Here's what I'm thinking. And you're, and you said, okay. And then I was like, Oh, maybe this. And I started in with a solution and you straight up stopped me. You're like, Nope, I have it. And so I, I shut up. And you I'm told a jerk me like that. And that was the, <laughs> that was but that was the better solution. Like you, it was the right decision to to just stop me. And you know, it would, that's such a good example of of what a good collaboration is, right? It's just you know, put the ego aside. It's, it doesn't matter whose idea was what. How many times? How many times have we highlighted a, a passage and sent it to each other and be like, "Yo, this is awesome." Do you remember who wrote it? <laughs> like, very true. <laughs> The only, the biggest tell we have on that is if there's a word like favor or honor or color that is spelled uh, with the Queen's English and the mm -hmm. O-U mm -hmm. instead of the O-R, we know that I wrote it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we pointed out the fact yet you're Canadian and so you spell everything wrong. You're, yeah, exactly. Wrong. <laughs> uh, that was a fun process as well. Um, this may be your first novel that's being published, but yep. you are a veteran storyteller and I'm thinking specifically of all of the games that you have run as a dungeon master. How do you mm -hmm. feel like that experience storytelling for a group both helped and hurt your writing of this story? So, yeah. So the funny thing about me as a DM is that I've never run, <laughs> I've never run a store, like a campaign out of one of the preset books. For those that aren't familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, um, they do have, we've got preset books. Um, Curse of Strahd is a good example where you, as the dungeon master, you look in it, you design your campaign around what's going in there. You can do it. You can do strictly by the book exactly what it says, or you can, you know, it allows you to do whatever you want to do. And I've never done that. My, my, my friend group and I that play board games were just like, Hey, let's, let's try Dungeons and Dragons. And we did. And my buddy DM'd one and he made it up. So I was like, I could make one up. So I, I made up the story. Uh, so all of my, have been all of my campaigns have been homebrew. Um, so I would say that rolling with the punches is a, like a pretty good skill to have learned, uh, particularly in a collaboration process, because uh, a good game is not about me or my story. It's about what my players are doing and how they form the narrative. If, if I'm forcing them into my narrative, then they might as well be playing a video game or, or we could just be playing board games because it's set that way. The point is for D&D is that you're in the world and you're involved and you, you get to influence what's going on. So, you know, I've abandoned entire story arcs in, in favor of something that my, my crew has preferred. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that ability to just to go with what, you know, what is the better decision? I think it makes it makes such a difference. And, and I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I'm sure in Sentinels, there was a number of things that I thought was going to happen. And it, and it just isn't, it doesn't, right. It just, because it didn't make sense. So I, I reflect, I, I reflect back sometimes on some of the initial conversations you and I had, which were probably going on a year ago now. Yeah. Uh, if not even a little bit longer about, I think a little longer even. 
about what we kind of expected this world to look like. And I feel like 5% of that became reality. And yeah. the rest oh, absolutely. changed over time. And yeah. I, I love that process. To me, that the way that a story in a world unfolds, the deeper you get into it, is one of my favorite parts of the writing process. And I feel like that was very true here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree. It's, it's, <clears throat> go ahead. Oh, no. I was going to say that uh, <clears throat> if you're interested, I have created a fun game that I would totally fail at if I was to play it. And it's called, How Well Do You Know Your Sentinels? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so for the record, Taylor and I have had this conversation several times. So he is already aware of this. Um, it may not be publicly known, but I am absolutely horrible at remembering the things that I have written in the past. I actually have whole systems and files on my computer to help me remember because my own memory is terrible. And so when people ask me things that happened, even books that I wrote just a few months ago, I, I have to go look it up. Um, and so, uh, this is, this is not intended to, uh, slam Taylor's knowledge of his book. Uh, but I thought it would be kind of fun because I would get zero of these, right? So are you ready, Taylor? I do not have any really, Super easy ones. There's a few that you might get, but we'll see. Jeez. That's a good Are you ready for this? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so, so there's 10 questions. 10 questions. Okay. Uh, we're going to start off with minor characters. Uh, characters who have only made uh, perhaps a very brief appearance, only mentioned once, maybe twice in the whole book. And some of them have had their names changed over the course of writing, so you might not even recognize <laughs> their names. <laughs> <laughs> So, are you ready? Yeah, let's try this. Okay. Uh, minor character number one. Who is Hanson? Hanson. Mm -hmm. Hanson is... Oh, I'm pretty sure Sato dealt... He's one of Sato's guys in the, in the very beginning, I, I believe. You are he, correct. One for one. Does he hand him... Hands him reins or something like he's got his yes. horse and then, and then Sato gives him orders to go through. Yeah. <laughs> yes. One for one. I'm impressed. I would have missed and that Hanson, one. And Hanson, he remains. He didn't change. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is probably, for me, this was the easiest of the 10 questions. Who is Samuel? Oh, Samuel is uh, one of the bullies that, uh, that, that Shin interacts with in the beginning. Nice. Two for two. Perfect score so far. Very yeah, impressed. Still, still trapped. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> uh, minor character number three. Who is Sherrick? Who? Sherrick. Sherrick? Sherrick. Yep. Oh, S-H-E-Y-R-I-C. <laughs> not A. A. I believe that's a name change. It is a name change. Because You're right. I've never, I've never written that word in my life. <laughs> that I remember. That is also Sherry, true. You I have, have no not. <laughs> uh, one of Beast's original honor guard. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Because we did nope. change those names in one of the final edits. So, so. Was, did we change? Is that, was that um, Henzo? It did might Henzo have been, change yeah. to Sherrick? Might okay. have been, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I had so plans two, for Henzo. <laughs> two out of three. Two out of three so far. Um, finally, the last of the minor characters. Uh, and I had to dig deep for this one. Who oh, is Remy? Oh, that's a... Uh... Oh, that one rings a bell. <laughs> Remy. Can I get a clue? Who does Remy interact with? Which one of our main characters does Remy interact with? Remy is a character in Shin's storyline. Shin's storyline. A very minor character. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Is he one of the Luan? Nope. Nah. I'm not, I'm not going to get it. He is one of their neighbors at the beginning of the story who sends oh. Shin's family their sheep. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that, that was mean. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't want you to get so many right. <laughs> yeah, clearly. The fact that you're two out of four actually disappoints me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're that kind of dungeon master. I, guess. <laughs> I am that guy. Everybody dies at the end. Um, <laughs> Question five. We are we are pretty much out of the minor character phase. Uh, Walric has interactions with two other characters in our story. Which characters are they? Walric? Walric, yep. Another name change. Another name change. <laughs> well, the name changes get me. Because mm-hmm. I didn't change any of the names. That is true. Like physically, I didn't go through and do it. I know I did. <laughs> Mostly because like I didn't use a search and replace. <laughs> Mostly, no, it was all because I knew that one of these days we would be having this discussion and I would be <laughs> wanting to stump you. <laughs> Walric. So, two of our main characters? Yes. The reason I like phrased the question is yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do any spoilers in our launch party yeah. discussion, which is why I phrased the question. But he, he does have interactions with two of our characters. Uh, who are they? God, I don't even know who Walwick is. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the correct answer is Shin and Beast. Shin and Beast. I mean, I could have guessed Shin and Beast, but... Yeah, yeah. Later on, uh, after we stop recording, I can actually tell you who he is. But it's, yeah, a, little yeah, bit okay, of a, yeah. it's a little bit of a spoiler, so I didn't want to... Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> okay. Uh, question number six, uh, we're moving over to geography. Mm. What is the eastern most city on the island of Iru? I knew you were going to ask that one because we changed it. So uh, Bulaz is the capital. Yep. <sighs> Man. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Hankala. Hankala. Mm-hmm. You think I, I promise you, everyone that's listening, I promise you I was involved in writing this book. <laughs> I mean, I was literally digging through our files this morning, trying to find the most obscure references I could. So nothing happens in Hankala the entire story. <laughs> it's just there. No, it's, it on, it's, it's on our maps. It's on our maps. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. This one, this one, I think you're going to get, what is the name of the camp? That Sato first trains his new warriors. Oh, yes. Three out of seven. Almost 50%. Ooh. 
Okay, this one, this one is a fun one. Uh, it's a seven-parter. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many of the tenants of the Sentinels can you name? Oh, God. Uh, mind, body, soul. Like defense or bulwark? I can't remember what we call that one. Uh, fortitude. Fortitude. Um, mind, body, soul, fortitude. <sighs> I mean, I'm going to have to give you credit Spir- for the question because you already have more than half. So, Yeah. Spirit? Spirit? Is spirit one or did we put that under soul? Probably that's soul. <laughs> yep. Um, like honor? Is honor one? Uh, No. Um, oh, uh, like not servitude, but like fealty is the word you're looking for. Fealty. Yeah. Yeah. Fealty. Yep. And, only two, and then the only last two left. Two, like, uh, rest- I don't... restraint and law. Restraint and law. Right. Right. Not bad. Five out of seven. That is at least yeah. four out of seven more than I would have gotten. So. And that, that I wrote, like when we were writing through that, that was a calendar year ago that I came up with those. And I have not really thought about them since like, aside from like, obviously I would sort of informed Sato stuff, but it wasn't like, I wasn't mm-hmm. studying the, the tenants. I'm a bad sentinel. <clears throat> okay. For this next question, I don't expect you to get this exactly right. Um, cause I started diving deep cause I wanted 10 questions and I was out of questions. <laughs> um, but I'm curious how close you get. How many times does the name Beast appear in our final draft? Oh, man. I'm going to say in the, in the range of like 90 to 100. 831. <laughs> Jeez. He gets referenced a lot. You know, 90,000 word book. He's one third of the story. <laughs> Comes up a lot. That's so funny. I thought I was guessing high. <laughs> it would actually be an impressive feat to reference one of your main characters only 90 times in an entire novel, I think. Yeah, I guess that's true. I wasn't uh, really thinking about like his chapters, like when Beast blah, blah, blah. Beast did like, I was thinking about outside of the, but yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So the next one is a little bit of an inside joke um, between Taylor and I that I was making fun of him for during the editing process. Um, but Taylor, how many times are shoulders mentioned in the final draft of Path of the Eternal Sun? <laughs> in the final draft? In the final I would draft. Imagine not the first draft in which it was the thousands. <laughs> you're right. Yes. In the final draft, I bet we cut shoulders down to fifty. You're actually pretty close. 30. Yeah. yeah. 30. Okay. Shoulders get bad. mentioned 30 times in, uh, in our final draft. <laughs> um, as I, uh, as I edit infernal shadow, I have removed some hands on shoulders as well. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like, so for those that are listening, I like my characters when they're connecting emotionally with somebody to place a hand on a shoulder. Maybe if they're giving comfort, what you don't realize when you're writing is how often you go to a thing 
And in this case, it was a lot. I, I'm very guilty of, I mean, different errors. I do. Uh, the ones that I have to watch out for are smiling and nodding. Ah, uh, yes. People, people in my stories are always smiling and nodding. They're very agreeable. <laughs> very agreeable folk. <laughs> um, and so I feel like that is a fantastic uh, way to wrap up uh, this launch party, uh, the return of the Waterstone Media Podcast. Uh, Taylor, is there anything that you would like to say uh, before we sign off for the day? Uh, yeah, just, you know, obviously a, a huge thank you to you and everything you did to help with the collaboration of this project. Um, mm -hmm. And like all of the nuts and bolts of being an independent author that you kind of took on and, <laughs> and allowed me to just be creative. So I'm not sure what that's going to look like when I release my solo book, but <laughs> I'm imagining you're getting a lot of phone calls. So. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, uh, to everybody listening, uh, I'll have links to the book and all of the various websites and social medias and all of that uh, at the end of the show. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe because we're just going to keep being goofy. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think that's it. Have a wonderful day, a wonderful week, and I will uh, talk to you guys all later. Thanks, everyone. Nice meeting you.